we're really ready for this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to X-Rated. Welcome. Uh, I'm one half of your hosts, Matt Fisher. And I'm the better half, Ryan Vita. <laughs> See, I knew I shouldn't have started this out, but <laughs> I wanted to say better half, but I couldn't start out saying better half. Oh, I know. You set me up for it, though. Yeah, I know. Should I have said other half? You should have just started Worst half? <laughs> should we start again? <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> and take two. Uh, how are you doing? I am okay. Uh, now that the work day is done. You just want to have some fun with your girls? <laughs> to paraphrase this popular yeah. song. Uh... You know, I, I feel that sounds a little sexist. Not towards girls, but men also want to have fun. And boys. Good point. You know, I, I feel like that sounds a little, you know, exclusionary. You know. Uh, yeah. I wonder... Sort of singles out as if girls are the only ones who want to have fun. Yeah. I myself enjoy fun from time to time. <laughs> Wasn't that... A, and that's a cover, though, isn't it? That was originally done by a man singing? What? Yeah, the first three songs on that album are covers. Cindy Lauper? She's so unusual? Yeah. I'm going to have to look this up. Girls Just Want to Have Fun, uh, Money Changes Everything, and When You Were Mine. Those are all covers. I'm looking it up. Okay, yeah, go for it. Robert Hazard? Yeah. I've never even heard of Robert Hazard. Well... Uh... Known for composing and recording a demo of the song Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Oh. Which Cyndi Lauper turned into a best-selling hit. So he was singing Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Hmm. Well, now it is sexist. <laughs> what do you know about girls, Robert? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when a girl was singing it, it was, you know, sort of An elitist. expression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but a dude singing it, yeah, that's just sexist. <laughs> Sorry, Robert, you can't win. He's dead, so we can't speak ill of him. Oh, man. But we're oh. so good at that. <laughs> Speaking ill of the dead. Yeah! That's specialty. <laughs> Remember when we maligned Michael Crichton? <laughs> Did we determine that he was dead? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's way dead. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Big C, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> He probably, he probably was like, you know, I don't like your newfangled medical <laughs> techniques. I don't trust them. It, I, you know, I can see that, yeah. yeah. I've written several books on how technology will fail us. Yeah. MRI, more like, not this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> when you said the big C, I thought you meant that's how he referred to himself. <laughs> It is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Crichton, can I get you? Hey! <laughs> Call me the Big C. Yes, Big C. They used to call him MC, but then he got invited to open too many for too many comedians. So <laughs> he had to quit that. Ugh. Watch me pivot here. I listened to a lot of my favorite murder. I've already talked about that. And yesterday, I just went to um, a live taping of it, which was really great. Yeah. Um, but they talk, they did a thing on um, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. And he used to work at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
where he was the manager, oh. and he insisted that the employees call him the colonel. <laughs> Which I don't think I could bring myself to do. Why? You made me call you that while we were dating. <laughs> Doesn't seem so unusual. Well, it's different when I'm making other people <laughs> ask to call me something. It's when the when they ask me to call them that, I just I have trouble. <laughs> By the way, why'd you stop that? <laughs> mm. I don't know. I feel like pet names die when the relationship dies. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I guess it's been ten years. Be, be prepared for every tweet that mentions you <laughs> to be referred to as. <laughs> so great life ta- life podcast tapings are more fun. They're fun. Are they? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, we, when we went yeah. to it, it was really fun. And like, I don't understand how that is possible. Because <laughs> this is tedium. <laughs> I, like, just... The, the Our listenership can't tell just the tears of boredom <laughs> that we elicit from each other. I'm slowly sticking a pin in my leg. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> uh, it just seems like, you know, such a ridiculous thing to... to have two people come out on a stage and just kind of yammer at you for an hour and a half. And yeah. Then... I mean, we've all watched uh, Mystery Science Theater. I mean, that's not necessarily the same thing, but mm-hmm. it is je- definitely just like a couple of people talking about a movie. Yeah. And granted, they do it with, you know, uh, precise timing and uh, biting insight towards what they're <laughs> watching, but... yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like... And it was huge. I mean, the place was sold out. And they had two shows. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Huh. I couldn't believe... I mean, it's just funny to think of, like, podcast people as the Jealousy new rock stars. flaring up already. <laughs> what I'm saying is I want to do a live show. <laughs> you yearn for the stage. <laughs> I need that attention. <laughs> I, I want the love of the audience. <laughs> Call me the colonel. <laughs> Please come out with like a bolo tie and white suit. Well, yeah. <laughs> a chicken in every pot and a podcast on every phone. That's your dream. Should I slowly start like melting into a uh, into a southern southern accent? Well, I don't know what accent you landed on now, but uh, if you want to, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> that was a test. <laughs> See if you knew I was if I was getting into it yet or not. You passed. <laughs> did you watch anything outside the challenge this week? I did. Yeah. Uh huh. I watched um, Amy, the um, the Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse documentary. Yeah. Tragic. Sad. Super sad. Was Mark Ronson hotter back in the day? <laughs> nah. Well, a little bit, but not a lot. He's got style, but I always feel like when you get like an uncropped picture of him, he just looks like a regular guy. Yeah. Yeah, there was one point when he was working with her in the studio where I was kind of like, who's that? And then they, they pan back to him and was like, oh yeah. Oh, it's him. Never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know the full story. I actually don't know that much of it. I didn't, didn't before I watched this, know that much about her. Mm-hmm. I just kind of knew peripherally what was going on. And it's just like, such a sad situation that somebody with obvious mental illness... Oh, addiction and bulimia and... Well, I didn't know she was bulimia. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so. and it's just like, she has all these mental issues um, just getting 
devoured in the media, mm. you know, and just like exacerbating that situation. It's too bad. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. Especially because she was such a talent, you know. Yeah. I think people kind of see when they see a talent that raw and just like natural. Yeah. That it's it's just our urge to get a piece of it somehow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> I mean, I'm always beating them off. <laughs> get away. Wait, what did I say? <laughs> um, yeah, how about yourself? I watched a movie called Emperor of the North. Okay. It's Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin. Okay. And Lee Marvin is a hobo. Ernest Borgnine is a train conductor. Okay. And Ernest Borgnine is the meanest train conductor in all the parts. Okay. Uh, it takes place during the Depression, and it becomes like this... Like, he doesn't let any hobos ride on his train, and Lee Marvin's, like, the king of the hobos, and, like, he can only, like, maintain this status if he rides on Ernest Borgnine's train without Ernest killing him. Okay. Uh. Weird. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so, like, yeah, the king of the hobos is, like, known as, like, the emperor of the North Pole, so the whole movie is just, like, Lee Marvin trying to ride on Ernest Borgnine's train, and Ernest Borgnine trying to kill him with a hammer. I had heard about this movie for years and years and years and years and years, and I was like, there's no way that movie can be as good as I'm imagining it, and that's true. Oh. <laughs> uh, like, it's still good, but, you know, hobo conductor fighting with a hammer, you know, it's better in my head than in, in reality. <laughs> This week, I subjected Ryan to Universal Soldier 4, Day of Reckoning, a franchise that started as a cash grab that ended firmly in art house territory, <laughs> uh, which is usually not how you see franchises go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like the Universal Soldier franchise as a whole is pretty unremarkable. Uh, the first one's... Mediocre but watchable. The second one's garbage but watchable. Third one's not as garbagey but somehow less watchable. And then the fourth one, we are in some sort of different world altogether. That's it's so just barely like tangentially related to the the actual franchise itself that it almost should have just been a different movie. Yeah, <laughs> like it should have just been Day of Reckoning with. Yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren having small cameos. <laughs> that's how it is. Like, Scott Adkins, who is the star of the movie... Right, he got third billing. He got third billing. <laughs> He's in, like, 90% of the movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren are in, like, 10% of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but they get top billing. Just bigger bankable stars, especially when you attach Universal Soldier on there. Yeah, so... Although this movie made very little money. Very little money. <laughs> If we get into the gross report, it's like, it cost $8 million to make, which isn't... It's not modest, but it's not huge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it only grossed like $1.5 million mm. worldwide. Yeah, I was reading the stats on the Wikipedia page, and it was like... It was bad. This movie made $4,000 in the first weekend. It's like... Yeah. Yes. And it premiered like video on demand. Like, yeah. Maybe that's why everyone watched it at home. Yeah, but still, that just doesn't bode well. No. And it, it, it's especially a shame because it's 
so much stronger than the preceding three films. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was real surprised at the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie. I, I really wasn't even sure what to make of what was going on. Yeah. It's like, I remember kind of checking me like, this is an action movie, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's really moody yeah. and POV shots. Yeah. And almost like a horror yeah. movie even. Yeah. More so than an action movie. Yeah. It, it, it takes the best part of like, certain types of video games, like the POV type of video games, uh-huh. uh, like the more cinematic qualities of those, and kind of like tweaks it and sharpens it and, you know, does things that, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but like, you know, does thing you would see similar things in, say, a Max Payne style video game. Okay. But it does it does a little bit more to it. So not just that you're like watching a video game. Mm-hmm. It has that same style, like the camera is following the lead character in that same, uh, like the the god bullet camera. times, yeah. Style, yeah. Uh, but it it does the whole choreography of a fight scene with more precision than you could really get in, like playing a video game. Yeah. Uh, I also feel that the color palette in this was better than your average video game as well. Sure, I agree uh, with that. But yeah, so you, like you have the POV shot in the beginning, and then like the last scene when he's like going through like the mine cave or something like that. Right. Uh, Remind me a lot of video games that like you know the video games that everyone loves to play, and yeah, just the choreography was a little bit more precise, a little bit more choreographed than you could mm-hmm. reasonably get playing like a first person shooter or something like that. Yeah. I didn't think about that. That's an interesting point because it's like in video games, especially. Once they turned into, like, first-person shooters, that is what you're doing. You're kind of living out this fantasy or whatever you want to think about, however you want to think about it. And um, we definitely get to see some ass-kicking, yeah. which, is, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, for me, I always feel that most action movies are really toothless these days. I mean, mm-hmm. A, you don't see blood a lot the way that you used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't see really innocent bystanders or, like, cops or anything uh, dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, most post-9-11 movies don't involve stuff like that. Right. Uh, so to kind of see a movie where, I mean, arguably innocent people die in this, I mean... Uh, Are you, you talking about sex workers? <laughs> the sex workers or just the, the, the splinter group unisol soldiers, you know. Oh, yeah. They may or may not be innocent. I assumed that they had killed many people <laughs> up until this point, so... Uh, but, it, yeah, it is... It, it kind of... It has that horror feel to it. Like, especially yeah. the opening POV shot, because it's like... It goes totally dark, and then, like, the character flips on a light switch. Yeah. And there's sort of a shock, even when there's nothing there. Yeah. Uh... But yeah, it gets to the point where he like goes in the kitchen and there's those three figures. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of shocking because all the other rooms that he you know, flipped the switch for were sort of bright and clean. And then he flips on that and there's the three dark figures. And right. it's a contrast with sort of what you're anticipating to see. Mm-hmm. And I knew, like, I knew there was going to be something, but it was still kind of like a moment. Yeah. Which is, which is cool. Yeah. This is maybe one of the first times I've seen a movie that really does a job, a good job of kind of blending action and horror. And we've talked about this before, where like, what makes a horror movie and 
versus a thriller and oftentimes it's maybe gore um and like i don't know if i saw i saw that there's an nc-17 version and an r-rated version i think i saw the nc-17 version okay because there was a lot of gore in the one that i watched yeah uh there's also dong yeah i wrote that down we get some d yeah (laughs) which is great quality yeah that's the second film in a row that we've watched with some with some d oh right yeah my immediate mind was like, what was our last one? The Apartment? <laughs> that hot Jack Lemon D. <laughs> Real risky for 1960. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's got something for, for the, the fellas and the ladies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, sort of a big fight sequence in a brothel. One a brothel I would never ever want to step foot into. No, oh, yeah. Like a, it looks skeezy, but it was filled with some of the most violent clientele. Oh yeah. <laughs> I assume they were all unisols mm-hmm. in in there. That was like yeah. specifically for them. Yeah, I think. I think so. Uh, by the way, while we're in the brothel, um, you you said last week that this film was compared to uh, three different directors: David Lynch, the Wachowskis, or whatever. And Gaspar Noé. Yeah. And as soon as that scene came on, I was like, oh, here's the Gaspar Noé part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's even a, like, point of view shot from the top, like a god shot. Oh, yeah. That, like, kind of moves around like he, he does in uh, Enter the Void. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, that is a, that is a full-on homage. <laughs> uh, I also feel like, because uh, that's a scene where it's like the... The sleeper agent, like the guy who gets triggered. The plumber. And, yeah. Uh, that scene when Dolph Lugman, like gets him in the neck with the syringe or whatever yeah. and it starts the flashing strobing. white. Mm-hmm. That reminded me of like a Gaspar Noe. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The whole brothel thing was, he's like, I know where I'm getting my inspiration for this. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I'm not going to fault him for it. No. Like, I don't I don't see why you can't lift from from something that's not... Either it's not a horror or a action movie. Yeah. And use it in your genre. Yeah. I don't see any reason why that should be considered hacky. No, not at all. Uh, especially because it, it doesn't feel hacky. Like, it feels appropriate for the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such like a... Especially when the strobing lights come on, it's such like a, a sensory, like, moment. Yeah. Uh, it really fits, like, because... You know the character is is the chemicals in his body are changing at that moment. Right, they're you know reappropriating themselves. So like the the you know assault of the strobing lights and like the shifting vision because it goes from like Dolph Lundgren and then you start you kind of see the, a little bit of uh, JCVD. Right. Uh, I don't. Know, it feels very appropriate to like what's happening to the character. Sure. Uh, and it's just. And the whole sequence is so candy-colored, like, you know, there's neon lights like uh, on the walls, and they're not just there for decorations, like, they fight, and they break, and mm-hmm. it changes the color in the room. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it feels all very appropriate to, like, what's happening. Like, it's not just... It's not a Schumacher where <laughs> the lights are just strobing around for no reason. Right. It feels like it's part of the fabric of the scene and, you know, it's part of, like, the character's mentality. Right. It was a choice of how to depict what's going on in this character yeah. at this moment. Uh, I, watching this a second time, I realized how tropey it is. One of, the, like, Scott Adkins, the star of the movie... <laughs> 
when he gets out of the hospital, he goes and, like, revisits his home and mm-hmm. has, like, memories of, like, his family. And, like, that's a big trope from, like, you know, A, they did it in, in, like, the original Universal Soldier. Okay. But they do that in RoboCop. Like, there's a scene, like, after he becomes right. RoboCop, like, he goes back to his home. Uh, and that's just, like, a big thing of, like, you know, the hero after their trauma trying to, like, regain their humanity. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, revisiting, like, their old home it is, like, a big trope. And I didn't notice it the first time that I watched it. And I think I only noticed it this time because I was, you know, really being more analytical about it. Yeah. But I was like, that's a classic, like, 80s action trope. Right. That they worked in. And the first time it was, like, it felt so natural that I didn't even, like, pick up on how tropey it actually is. Hmm. Do you think it's because we were there for the tragic event and seeing it from a point of view shot? you think that had anything to do with it? It could. Like, it sort of, instead of just showing it the way that they show everything else in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like it's a slice of something different. Yeah. There's, there's also a trope in that that I like, in that opening scene, because uh, it's like a, a mirror breaks, like they either hit him with a mirror or yeah. something gets smashed against a mirror, and it's like he's looking at his reflection right. in like the broken mirror pieces, which you see in a hundred thousand different movies. But then, like, his blood is also dripping on it. Yeah. I don't know. It felt like it was actually part of the scene, you know. Uh, yeah, looking in a broken mirror. Yeah, 10,000 movies use that trope to, you know, signify a shattered reality or uh-huh. something. <laughs> uh, but for some reason in here, it felt perfectly at home. Sure. It didn't seem like they were trying to shoehorn in some metaphor. Like, it actually felt appropriate in this one. Yeah. Um. I guess while we're talking about tropes, uh, there's a a new trope that was in this one, the the blind side that we've talked about a little bit too, the car uh, oh, blind yeah. side crash. Yeah. That definitely is a like a 21st century trope. It's a new like from inside the car yeah. kind of thing. I think we get that a lot these days. But uh, I forgive it because it was followed by a really great car chase. Also... And a fight sequence that came right after that. That's a, the best part of the movie, maybe. So, Alright, so the, the car chase, also classic action movie trope. Mm-hmm. But I thought it knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And one of my favorite things, and I don't, I feel like I don't see this in nearly enough action movies. Jackie Chan does it, but like nobody else does it. Is when people have like a long fight sequence in an everyday location, and they use the everyday objects around them. Yeah. I love that in action movies. And I feel like, yeah, Jackie Chan's the only one that actually regularly does that. Yeah. Uh, so, like, they go into that sporting goods store. I'm like, what a perfect place yeah. for a fight sequence. There's baseball bats. There's dumbbells. There's all sorts of things that they can, like, throw around and swing at one another. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a perfect, like, fight sequence for an action movie. And it was... I, I feel like that was the highlight of the movie sure. for me. Um, just because we don't get... We get, like, minor fight sequences up until that point. Um, they even, like, battle once before where, like, his yeah. fingers get cut off and, and stuff like that. And those that was satisfying, but, like, this one is an extended sequence that comes off of... You already have the adrenaline rush from the from the car chase, and then it goes... It, like, takes it up a notch, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's when he realizes he's, like, a super soldier and has his powers, and then yeah. like, it's sort of like a Neo moment. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know Kung Fu. 
he's starting to realize his own abilities. Yeah, and it's cool. It's just it was it was done really well. Yeah, I was surprised. I just you know they're fighting with baseball bats and like they pick up some like free weights or whatever and like yeah. chuck them at one another. And, like, oh yeah, he throws one of those huge dumbbell or you know yeah the... weights at him and it hits him in the chest. Like, yeah, oh, I felt <laughs> I think I even audibly oofed at that moment. But I love stuff like that. Like I don't know. I feel like if you were really fighting someone you would find whatever weapon was available to you. Yeah. I do like that first fight between the, the plumber and John, though, as well, with the axe. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, he's swinging that thing. He's swinging that thing. And, like, it goes through shit. Like, yeah. The, it, it's no prisoners. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, he gets his foot chopped off, and John gets his fingers chopped off. Yeah. It's, it was a solid fight. It was bloody. It was brutal. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I... I just want to say, I, I read the Wikipedia um, plot synopsis just because uh, I wanted to make sure I understood everything. And at that scene, they say that John loses some flanges, <laughs> which I thought was an odd word choice. <laughs> Maybe the Wikipedia editor was like, I don't want to put a spoiler alert. <laughs> but but so it, was a, <laughs> it was a live link. You clicked it and then <laughs> it took you to, oh, these that's the part of your finger. Okay. So... I just thought that was an odd word choice. So, I mean, for an action movie, I feel that this really utilized silence well. Like, there's long bouts of, like, no dialogue or just static tension. Or, yeah, where there was no dialogue and maybe it was just, like, the sound effect or the music. But it wasn't necessarily, like, a nonstop thrill ride of, you know, thrills and chills or something like that. Yeah. Like, it wasn't afraid to be slow. It was a slow-moving action for an action movie. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Uh, which, yeah, usually, you know, a lesser director would feel pressured just to, like, keep the adrenaline high. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this one, he really wasn't afraid to just kind of let it be slow for a little while or, you know, just let the scene sit for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, even the strobing scene in the brothel, uh, you know, on paper, you could really cut that scene down. It didn't have to strobe for that long. Totally, yeah. But it's sort of nice to just let that scene be and like really let it sink in. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I, I feel, yeah, for an action movie, that's a, that's a brave choice. Yeah, and that has to do with the mood that he's set up. Yeah. From the beginning uh, of just like, this isn't going to be your normal action movie. Yeah. You know, and it's like, he kind of prepares you to be able to... To, to be able to sit through those kind of slower slower portions of it. Yeah, because yeah, cause we get that POV shot, and then the next shot is the hospital scene, which is slow, more dial. I mean, not yeah. a lot of dialogue, but, you know. Uh, I did notice that while Scott Atkins got the shit kicked out of him at his home, when he wakes up in the hospital, his visage is in perfect condition. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, he's a pretty man. Yeah, yeah. Although... He's he, he's big. He's a big guy. A little too big for for Rai Rai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. I just he kind of looks like he's he eats the whole container of like bulking powder a day. Well, what was uh the Rock like? W- like posted his diet on like how to like get to his physique, mm-hmm. and it would cost like two thousand dollars a week to eat the way that. He eats, jeez, because it's it's always like fresh Alaska salmon or something, <laughs> but it's like for each seven meal. of them, yeah. yeah. 
I want to say that this movie kind of made me question how I approach action movies. Oh. Because I was realizing that I really use this genre as escapism, period. Like, I, I don't... I almost never want to think about my action movies. Okay. I want to be able to be drinking and just like watch things go boom and people go punch, you know? And uh, I don't I don't think of it as a lesser genre because of that. I mm-hmm. just realized that that's how I digest these. Okay. And so this one, when I was actually watching it to analyze and talk about, um, and then also this is, you know, not your typical action movie. Yeah. Uh, it just realized like, oh, I, I mean... Do people watch action movies with the thinking brain, you know, coming at them critically? I think the generation before us, like, people who are probably in, like, their early to deep 40s, Mm -hmm. I think they might have, because we grew up in a time when action movies were sort of cookie cutter, Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas if you started watching movies in the 80s, that brand of action of big explosions of you know, big extended fight sequences, that was sort of a new thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that wasn't... Like, you didn't really have that type of action movie in the 70s. Like, there was different types of action movies in the 70s. Right. But, you know, the 80s is when you saw the rise of your Schwarzeneggers, your Stallones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was always... When I'd watch those as a kid and a teenager, that was always, it was the same thing. I was like, yay, blow em ups this is fun. <laughs> like, I, I never went into it with a critical brain. Yeah. Ever. And I, you know, the right director, I think, looked at the action as art in mm-hmm. some ways, but I think it just got co-opted by the, you know, cinematic industrial complex. Because <laughs> uh, it makes money. Right. And, you know, a lot of people watched it in the same, with the same lens where it was like, you know, something goes boom, people like it. Mm-hmm. The best part was where the buildings fell down. I mean, that's why you saw a bunch of B-movies. You know, all those Chuck Norris movies. Right. Uh, you know, Canon films and things like that. You know, it was really cheap and easy to just have a bunch of explosions, put some characters in between those shots, and slap a title yeah, on flimsy it. plot. Yeah. And, yeah, maybe that's just what I've been conditioned to kind of want, too, out of it. Like, I don't need to pay attention to this because... It doesn't matter. I know that that's the bad guy. That's the good guy. Yeah. And they're going to fight at some point. Yeah. And things will go boom. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm paying for, and I'm happy with that. <laughs> uh, but, you, you know, you, you get the, you know, uh, you get strong directors in those action genres. You got James Cameron. Right. Uh, you got uh, John Woo. Right. Uh, especially, like, uh, The Killer or Hard Boiled. Those are great action movies. Uh, let's see. Uh, Paul Verhoeven. His action one, right. like that one, I really think is like action and art together because I think he really enjoyed like the color of violence, or you know, you know the 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 motion of like blood squirting out. I think he really enjoyed that. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, it, you know, but yeah, it got incorporated into cheap, easy filmmaking, mm-hmm. and that's why we have shitty action directors. <laughs> Well, and that's why, and then, like, once CGI came around and you could blow up anything, and, you know, anything. Anything. It just became, and I, I think I realized this last summer when I saw the Star Trek movie, the third oh, one. yeah. And I just realized, I think I have action movie fatigue, almost. Sure. I was just like, I'm so tired of 
seeing I'm, I just it's, it's everything looks the same you yeah know? I'm just like I, I don't get that thrill anymore like the drug isn't there you know? yeah yeah I mean I definitely have like the Marvel fatigue where it's like I can't if, if I see like too many of those movies in too close succession I won't be able to tell one from the other mm-hmm. uh, I mean I feel that way about like some of the Bond movies too like if I watch like three of those in a row and then a week later you ask me which one's which I'm not gonna know right yeah uh, but you know, you can st- it can still be done right. It's just, yeah, it's just a genre that I think has gotten cookie cutter throughout the years. Yeah, yeah especially, yeah, from like the mid '80s on, I think it became especially cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing the ones that have stuck out to me since that time period are the ones that interjected another kind of subgenre in there. Okay. So like, um, what's the uh, Edgar Wright one with the blue? One in the Cornetto series. Hot Fuzz, there okay. we go. Which is sort of like, you add some kind of a comedy element to it. Um, or like, Fifth Element is a great one okay. too, where it's like, there's comedy and like, style. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there just needs to be like, an action musical and I'm I'm on board. I don't know, that's that's when I've always like, kind of, per- my, my, my brain has perked up a little bit and been like, oh, this is a different kind, you know, that I actually... When it's action married to a different <clears throat> genre. Yeah. And then that makes me worry that, again, I'm treating, like, action movies as a lesser genre, which I really don't feel that way. So would you say that, like, Matrix is action married to sci-fi, then? Like, is that sci-fi first, action second? Mm-hmm. Or do you not care for The Matrix? No, I love The Matrix. Okay. It's a classic. Jeez, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I guess I would consider that a sci-fi first, action okay. second. Yeah. But the action is so integral to that movie. I yeah. don't know. That's hard to say. Maybe the best ones are the ones that... They're on equal yeah. footing. Yeah, maybe. You know? I mean, yeah, it's easy to dismiss action because they they might be disproportionately brainless mm-hmm. compared to, you know, other genres where, you know, sci-fi gets, you know, wrapped up in its own importance a lot of times. So mm-hmm. It's harder to say that those are mindless when they're, you know, more self-important. Right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, action movies, because yeah, it's easier to think of a whole slew of crummy action movies... You know, and they're almost harder to make, you know? Yeah. Probably. It, it just makes me wonder, like, what... Then, like, what makes a great action movie, you know? like Or what what makes it merit... What makes an action movie merit talking about on the high, on a higher level, you know? Sure. Um, and... I just... I, I haven't ever thought of it that way before. <laughs> well, to get a uh, super snooty... <laughs> Truffaut once said... Oh boy, here we go. Uh, ...that it was impossible to make an effective anti-war movie mm-hmm. because violence is so inherently uh, pleasing to the eye that just the more action and the more violence you show, the more your audience is going to be entertained. Hmm. Uh, yeah. like So if arty French film directors know that violence is inherently entertaining, then... Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, Battleship Potemkin. <laughs> I mean, what else? What else about this movie? I uh, love that. I, I like that they killed off JCVD and Dolph Lundgren, so then then they could be like, buy franchise if they wanted to make more. Yeah, it, it it definitely seemed. I mean, it seemed like they passed the torch while the script was being made. <laughs> but the movie itself kind of felt like we can't put JCVD in these movies anymore. He's too He's old. Clearly too old. <laughs> 
And, I mean, same with Dolph Lundgren. I mean, the original Universal Soldiers from, like, 1990. Yeah. You know? It's as bad as putting Arnold Schwarzenegger in a Terminator movie. Oh, God, he's, like, 70 now, isn't he? Probably. Who knows? <laughs> like, I'm not saying that Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jean-Claude Van Damme can't do action, but maybe not put them into the same roles that they did when they were in their prime. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like that's just asking for negative comparisons. Right. Well, and just, like... Let's have an original idea. <laughs> you know, I liked, I mean, this movie was great because he was, you know, he's still kind of under the radar with this franchise and just yeah. like, you know, tooling, like working with, you know, getting a budget and like kind of just flying under the radar and like experimenting with what he can do as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and the results are great. So yeah. it's like, throw some money at, oh, damn it, I forgot his name, Morgan. Throw some money at this guy. See what he can do. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't such a financial bomb. Well, I was going to say, he did, he did have $8 million to make that. Yeah. Do you know that Dolph Lundgren's actually, like, super smart in real life? No. Yeah. I know he dated Grace Jones. Really? Or they hung out a lot. There's lots of pictures of them. Lundgren received a degree in chemistry from Washington State University. Wow. Uh, a degree in chemical engineering from the Royal Institute of Technology in the early 1980s and a master's degree in chemical engineering from the University of Sydney in 1982. Wow. So, yeah. Chemical engineer. And he became the bodyguard for Grace Jones. Oh, there you go. And began a relationship. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, he received a Fulbright scholarship to MIT. No way. And moved to Boston. MIT? Yeah. Wow. So, Yeah. He looks like a, you know, big dumb Swede, but he's actually pretty smart. Mm. Did you ever see the video of uh, JCBD uh, doing the splits across two moving semis? Yeah. Yeah. To Enya's, uh, yeah. whatever it was. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, uh, that's insane. I'm, and that was recent, too. That was only like a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching some Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Like, watching him speak, especially in, like, those early 90s movies, is really embarrassing. Like, he, <laughs> he, you know, I mean, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, he, you know, English was a second language. You can't expect him to be, like, Shakespeare with his dialogue. Sure. But he's a fucking poet with those legs, like, in his heyday. Mm-hmm. Like, he can kick so effortlessly. It didn't really come across in this movie. Like, yeah. he wasn't asked to really show off those gams. But uh, in his heyday, he, like, was a master at leg-based action. <laughs> He's got legs and knows how to use them. Yeah, he does. Those stems, man. The Tina Turner of action movie stars from the 80s. Yeah, I stand by that. Yeah, what are some of your other favorite action movies? Uh, well, some I, I got in my pocket for future episodes. Oh, okay, well. So I don't want to give too many away. Uh, but, yeah, like I was saying, like, the first two Terminator movies. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which one's your favorite of those two? I think I like the first one a modicum more, just because it, it seems a little bit more unique 
as time goes on. If I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the first one, too. Uh, you know, I've got nothing but love for the second one, but if, if I, you know, forced to choose, I think I'll go with number one. So, yeah, the, the, the Cameron movies, like, even True Lies, I think, is a great movie. I do, too, yeah. Minus um, the, like, horrible stereotyping. <laughs> Uh, Paul Verhoeven science fiction movies, so like Total Recall, Robocop, those are all solid. Sure. I like Starship Troopers too, but uh, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I know that like casting pretty people who can't act is like half the point of that movie, <laughs> but sometimes I'm just like, did you really need to like make this point? Like, <laughs> couldn't you have this point made at like a juncture in the film and then cast real actors for the rest of it? <laughs> uh, although. I do appreciate looking at what's his face is pretty face the whole time. Casper Van Dien or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, no. I mean, he's pretty, but oh my god, he can't act. He cannot act. Well, do you want to know? Do you want to know what I want to watch for next week? There's nothing I want more in this world. You're edging me right now <laughs> in anticipation. I pick. I had two movies in my head, so we're just gonna see which one comes out of my brain. I want to watch the Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> All right, you know, <laughs> I was thinking, uh, this this is sort of like uh, when you pick the apartment where if you didn't pick an animated movie, my next pick was going to be an animated movie. Oh, okay. Movie. I'm one step ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you seen The Brave Little Toaster? If I have, it's been 25 years. This is a real uh, <clears throat> Ryan Staple, probably seen it in the 30 to 40 times range. Okay. Um, so, I am going to rewatch it for this, because it has been a couple years since okay. the last time I saw it. But um, this is a real close, real near and dear one. Okay. I think this is the first movie that I picked for this podcast that has genuine sentimental value to me, too. So, it's going to be interesting to see how it jives with watching it from a critical standpoint. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think the, if I have seen it, I'm going to say I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, it'll be like watching it for the first time. Perfect. I mean, the cure for nostalgia is time travel. What if you watch it and you hate it? No. I don't think I can. I think my nostalgia for it is too... Is too, too deeply implacable. rooted. Yeah. <laughs> there might be tears next episode of you come in hating it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, good. I'm excited. And I'm excited to pick one that you haven't... Uh, seen recently. Yeah. If I've seen it at all, I may not have. So. Oh, okay. Well, great. Um, Shall we plug our junk? Yeah, let's plug our junk and get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Mm-hmm. And send us hashtags. Hashtag sure. uh, the Colonel. <laughs> we also have um, a Facebook page that is rated X movies. Uh, email us x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Go nuts. Yeah, uh, I mean, we really appreciate, uh, especially like the reviews, because that like really helps circulation and like gets us attached to, to, you know, different pages and things like that if people rate and review us. So, indeed. Please, even if uh, you're not an active listener or you know, serial listener, if you could leave a, a nice review, that would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. Word of mouth is good. And and, and tell your friends. Yeah. yeah. We've told all of ours. 
next week, Brave Little Toaster. I'm excited. Me too. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye.